This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. What's up, guys? Hope everybody's doing well, taking care of your families during these odd times that we're going through. We are joined today by a good friend of Dive Bomb Industries, owner of Aleutian Island Waterfowlers, Alaska's premier waterfowl and sea duck guide service, Mr. Charlie Somerville. Charlie, how you doing? I'm doing great, Asher. Uh, thanks for having me on. And the uh, same thing, man. I want to wish everybody the best out there while we're uh, going through these tough times. Alaska's uh, having some tough times, too. We've They've actually locked down all the flights to all the remote villages to try to stop the spread. But I know a lot of you people down in the States are having a, a tough go of it. But uh, everybody's got to uh, keep strong and keep positive, And uh, we'll get through this. We're strong. We're Americans. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, we we appreciate you you taking your time to to join us for a little while. So, first of all, you you actually reside in in Cold Bay, Alaska. Yeah, right? yeah. Our home. Uh, my daughters graduated high school in uh, Kodiak, Alaska. Both of them graduated a few years ago, and then we have our uh, our year round home in Cold Bay, Alaska. But I do quite a bit of traveling down in the states, visiting my family. I've got a daughter in uh, Greenville, North Carolina, and I've got a daughter outside of Seattle, Washington. Okay. Yeah, I was that I was going to ask you being, you know, being in a place that's not you know quite as populated as as where most of us are here in the states. I was I was going to ask you what kind of effect that you've seen, you know, from the coronavirus in your area and it sounds like it's um, you know, it's it's changed a lot, you know, a lot of uh, things in people's day-to-day lives. Yeah, it has. You know, we, we're, we're pretty fortunate. I actually uh, was down in the States when this actually happened. Uh, I was down doing some sports shows and some traveling and seminars, and they pretty much put all this lockdown in place. And my younger daughter just had a baby, so my wife was down here visiting. So we're actually, right now, uh, we're in Greenville, North Carolina uh, at my daughter's house. So we're kind of locked down here right now with all the flight restrictions. Uh, wow. Yeah, you know, being springtime, a lot of folks, they don't, you know, they don't realize the economic impact that this is having on on outfitters and God services. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, they think of being spring, it's 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 not that big a deal, but but not only are, are guys losing their, their spring snow goose bookings, but a lot of guys, you know, a lot of our guys, they run turkey hunts as well that they're missing out on. And I'm hearing some guys are, are having trouble filling their books this fall with the uncertainty surrounding how long this thing's going to last. You know, it's a, it's a tough thing that, that we're all going through. But, you know, like you said, we're we're all in this together and, and this is going to pass. Um, so... So we'll we'll move on. Let's let's talk about some some more enjoyable things. So after talking with you uh, several times on on the phone and, and getting to know you, uh, you know your your bread and butter is is offering these these trophy sea duck hunts, putting guys on a bucket list type hunt, often in pursuit of a specific bird. So this is this is quite a novelty. So let let's take it back to the beginning. How how did you get started in Alaska sea duck hunting? I, did you grow up in Alaska? No, I grew up in upstate New York. I was uh, from a small town called Sandy Creek, New York, uh, right in the, the Tug Hill Plateau, right next to Lake Ontario. And I actually didn't hunt when I was a kid. I, uh, I was a fisherman. I, I started out as a, a fisherman. I worked on the charter boat since I was 12 years old uh, with my Uncle Frank on Lake Ontario. And as I grew up, I ended up uh, getting my captain's license when I was 18. I was the youngest licensed uh, captain in the Great Lakes uh, running charters. And I had a drift boat on the Salmon River since uh, 1982. And I ran uh, drift trips for steelhead and salmon fishing, fly fishing. And that's kind of what opened the doors for Alaska. I, I went up to Alaska in 1985 at 19 years old and started working for a big lodge in Bristol Bay area and realized right away that this was the place I wanted to be. I loved hunting. I love fishing, but I really, uh, you know, fishing was the main thing. But then after uh, fishing for a couple seasons and getting exposed to the, the, the waterfowl hunting and the bird hunting and the ptarmigan hunting and the big game hunting, I realized it was just one of those things that if you want to be well-rounded, you really want to do it, you got to do everything. So I ended up uh, 
you know, working for two years for them. And then I went out on my own in 1986 and started my own operation as just an independent guide, uh, having people stay at a local hotel and guiding people out of King Salmon on uh, raft trips and jet boat trips and day trips. And, and I mean, that's pretty much how it started. And then it's just one thing's led to another. We've grown. I've, you know, built uh, several lodges in Alaska, uh, you know, and there's, there's, there's quite a story that's going to be told in, in the end. Wow. So you've, you've, um, raised your family there in Alaska. Yeah. Right? My daughters were uh, born and raised in Alaska. And, uh, at the time we, we lived in King Salmon, Alaska. My wife worked for the police department for 13 years and we raised our family in Bush, Alaska. And, you know, our remote property was 40 miles from King Salmon, uh, on the Alagdak river. And that was kind of our homestead. We had a home in King Salmon. Um, but the, you know, our main homestead was 40 miles by airplane and, we ended up building a runway there uh, because the access was so remote. I mean, it was a 110 mile boat trip every day to get to town. So, I mean, we didn't go there every day. It was, you know, kind of a once a week you go to town and pick up mail and groceries and supplies. But then I ended up building an airstrip and putting a uh, strip there and getting my pilot's license and everything opened up. Awesome. So you, you, you are a pilot as well. So how many, um, how many hours would you say that you've got? I got about 6,000 uh, hours flying bush planes in Alaska. I'm type rated in uh, land planes, sea planes, uh, tail wheel. So, yeah, I still presently have two airplanes that I've done um, quite a bit of exploring in and we used for the lodges. And that, that's one of the big things that a lot of people don't realize is remote Alaska. It's so remote. The only way to get around is by small bush planes. And that's I've been very mm -hmm. fortunate that, you know, by running a business and becoming a guide, that I was able to pioneer and explore, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles uh, with my own airplanes and learning all these areas. And that's what right. that's what actually brought me down the Alaska Peninsula from Bristol Bay down to the Cold Bay area, you know, in the late 90s is I was exploring mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, we stumbled on a few bays and a few estuaries that were just full of birds as the, the, whip, the fall migration comes down through. And we would start hunting there. We'd stay there for a few days with some friends and set up a spike camp and then, you know, end up in Cold Bay where I had a good friend that had a little cabin. And we'd hunt out of Cold Bay for the brant hunts because, you know, that's kind of the, the world population of brant stages up in Cold Bay during, you know, September and October. Wow. Yeah, I'd love to hear a, a, a conversation about flying between you and you and Forrest Carpenter. He you know, he's a, he's a great guy and a great hunter and, and caller and also a, a great pilot. He, he flies around for us. Um, I don't, do, do no, you know I, Forrest I haven't met Forrest at all? Yet. No. Yeah. He's a, um, he's an awesome guy. He actually flies up in Alaska during the summer months as well. Um, you know, and he's, I, I love listening to his, his stories and asking him questions. So I'd love to hear it be a fly on the wall between a conversation uh, between you guys. So, um, you, you talked about you were flying over and you'd see these bays and estuaries that had some birds on them. Now, would this be, is this public ground? Like, is this state owned ground? Is it, um, stuff is, is it privately owned? Some of these places, how, how would you go about, say you're flying over and you see something that looks, you know, really juicy. Um, I mean, how do you go about saying, okay, is it okay for us to well, there's there's basically three different landowners in Alaska. They have private owned land and then which is mostly owned by the native corporations, uh, because in, in 1971, the Anilka Act was the Alaska Native Lands Claim Act. The, uh, the government to make reparations for the state taking over all the land and, you know, taking you know, anyway, just to try to make things right, they gave back millions and millions of acres to the Alaska natives, which they deserved because we had taken it away or the Russians had. And so they, you know, blocked off big sections. But within that, there's also a lot of national parks, uh, national wildlife refuges. And the nice thing about Alaska is, for instance, like Katmai National Park, Katmai National Preserve, Eisenbeck Wildlife Refuge, Bisharoff Wildlife Refuge, they're all open to public to hunting um, and public fishing. So, um, you know, we have, you know, all that area that's it's open to the public. And and 90 percent of the um, the areas that I was flying along down the coast and the Alaska Peninsula and the Aleutians, um, everything below the high tide, high, high water mark 
is uh, public land owned by the state of Alaska. So all the water is open to the public, all of it. So if you want to land on a beach um, with an airplane, and as long as you're below the high tide mark, you can get out and hunt, you can set out decoys, you can do anything. So, you know, Alaska is very friendly when it comes to public hunting. And that's one of the great things. Yeah, that, you know, it is a great thing. But on the same side of it, the good thing for, for having guys like you is, you know, even somebody say that I bomb guys, we, you know, we know how to hunt, we know how to kill waterfowl, but we don't have the ability to access these places or know the places to start the way you do. So that's, you know, while it is, you know, maybe friendly to some local people, maybe somebody that grew up there, I can't imagine it's a task that uh, somebody would, would want to just take on uh, just because it's it's not like, hey, I'm going to go freelance in Saskatchewan and go find a, a uh, you know, a nice pea field and get permission to set up on. This is, you know, you're talking about planes and boats and finding the logistics of getting the decoys in and out and the weather and uh, possibly getting stranded. So uh, that's the good thing about a guy like you is, uh, you know, you know what you're doing, you know, the ropes. So, uh, yeah, you know. I would definitely, definitely be leaning on you for that. I don't, I don't, I don't see any, any freelance land on a, an island trip in, in, in our future. <laughs> well, the one thing I can say, Asher, is um, it is, you know, every, the, the million dollar question is, and I hate bringing up, but everybody always asks me, why is it so expensive to go hunt in Alaska? And, you know, that's one of the biggest things I try to explain to people because they, they don't realize that, for instance, in Cold Bay, Alaska, a gallon of milk is $13. Okay. Um, wow. Last summer, our fuel was $5 and 50 cents a gallon. Um, I shipped out a boat, for instance, I shipped out a new, uh, 19 foot duck water to St. Paul Island for our King Eider hunting last year. And I bought the, I had, you know, Steve build it for me in, uh, Ohio and it was $2,800 for shipping by truck from Ohio to Seattle. And then it was $8,500 shipping on a barge from Seattle to St. Paul Island. So that was just the shipping costs. And, you know, that's, that, that's COD. Right. That ain't, you know, there's nothing, you're not, you're not putting that on the, the easy finance plan of buying a boat. But anyway, so right. and, and the same thing, even vehicles, I mean, every vehicle, when you get into these remote areas, every vehicle has to be shipped and it's six to $7,000 per vehicle to ship them from the mainland out to these remote areas. So, you know, you start talking, trying to run a guide operation and you've got two or three Suburbans and a pickup truck. I mean, there's $21,000, $28,000 in just shipping for the vehicles. And then you start talking some boats right. and then you're talking the decoys. I mean, you saw it last year. You, we, we got those decoys from you guys. And I mean, the shipping costs right. almost as much as the decoy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a special, special place. It's a novelty. And, you know, the deal is you got to pay to play. It's not, uh, you know, I don't, you know, there are some that have the finances to do it annually, but I'd say for the most of us, it's a trip that you plan in advance and you save up for and you say, you know what, I'm going to get a first class, world class experience and I'm going to get what I pay for. Not, no offense to any of our outfitters here in the States, but that's stuff that you could do more along the lines of every year or, or multiple times a year where uh, for, you know, for the regular guy, um, where this is something that, uh, you know, it's, it, you're paying for the experience. You really are. So, uh, I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's really cool, man. I, I, I can't wait, can't wait to get up there. It's going to, going to be a blast. You know, there's, there's such a, like a, you know, we're, we're not going on the sea duck hunting, but getting back to the, the sea duck hunting, there's such like a mystery that surrounds, uh, sea duck hunting specifically, you know, the King Eider, you ask a question, say, Hey, what's your bucket list hunt? Every, like 80% of the people that their number one is like, I want to go shoot a, you know, a King Eider in Alaska. You know, I read, I don't know, 16 years in a row or something. It voted as the most extreme duck hunt that somebody can take, you know? So I, I can only assume this is based on the harsh weather and the, the difficulty to access, um, the area these birds frequent. So can, can you briefly talk about, um, you know, like what a King Eider hunt is like maybe for those that have, uh, you just kind of the, the 
mystery in the questions that certain. Yeah, you know, we um, the king eider hunt is a pretty specialized uh, hunt, and you know, I was very fortunate that in my young career, and and part of it kind of the, the history came about. I was I was actually down in Cold Bay in the '90s hunting brant and geese and um, puddle ducks, and I stumbled upon this old timer in a uh, an old camper sitting back in a field. And he was a retired Alaska railroad worker. And we just got talking one day over a, a, a Crown Royal and Coke one night after hunting. And it was kind of like his little hunting camp. And he said, man, I, I was out on this place called St. Paul Island doing a job for the airport. And um, they, there's king eiders just flying around everywhere. The ice would come down around the island and these birds would come and and I'm, you know, I'm thinking to myself, is this just whiskey talk or is this guy for real? And he, you know, he said, yeah, I just sat in the rocks and shot a couple King Eiders and this and that. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, right. I mean, I, at the time in the nineties, I mean, I'd heard of King Eiders, but I really wasn't much of a sea duck guide. We just, you know, cause we specialized in the brant and the geese and stuff down in Cold Bay and the puddle ducks. And, you know, the, the sea duck hunting is so harsh because it is late in the year. It's November, December, and January time frame, and the winds are bad. The waves are bad. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that you just don't think about, you know, when you're in your twenties and you, you know, you don't have that much money and you're just starting up trying to figure this out. But anyway, to make a long story short, I was intrigued by what this guy said. And I made a couple phone calls to a couple clients and we, I got a couple guys that wanted to pitch in on an exploratory hunt with me. And, you know, we each pitched in, I don't know, about 2,500, 3,000 bucks a piece. And we flew out to St. Paul Island, which is anybody knows it's out in the middle of the Bering Sea. I mean, it's 500 miles off the coast, you know, halfway to Russia, right out in the middle of the Bering Sea. It's a little small island, basically just a volcanic island. And we worked with the local native corporation. That's where I got, you know, working with them and, and got to know the, the, the head of the, the, the local tribes and the president of the, the corporations. And one thing led to another. We did our little hunt. We had fun. I mean, there's there's some stories to be told about that. But that's that's for a, a later date when that's kind of one of the stories that we talk about that first year in camp. But, you know, next thing we know, we I went back out the next year and. Um, you know, shipped out a Zodiac and a few decoys. And the next year after that, you know, one thing after another. And now, you know, 2021, it's our uh, our 20th anniversary of King Eider hunting. And I, I'm just so excited and so blessed that I took that chance and, you know, basically had balls big enough to go out there and spend the money <laughs> and do this. And, you know, I, I pioneered something. I mean, it's just, it's so rare in this day and age when anybody can say that they truly pioneered something, you know, I mean, and, right. you know, we started it and it's taken off and we've been very fortunate, you know, we've taken kind of the who's who in the hunting industry. And, you know, a lot of you have seen us on TV, seen some of the shows we're doing and we, we happen to have a big uh, video coming out here just in the next uh, couple weeks with, uh, with a group. So, yeah, I mean, but yeah, it, it's an extreme hunt. I mean, we're out there, you know, now it's a lot different than the old days. You know, when we just, we didn't have much, you know, now I've got a fleet of boats out there. I've got five boats total and, you know, we've got four vehicles, we've got snow machines, we've got a, a nice remodel lodge and, you know, we, we, we're comfortable. We've got very, very experienced guides, the safest equipment. I mean, uh, the biggest thing I am, I'm proud of my, you know, a 20 year safety record. And that's a hard thing to say when you're, you know, in this day and age, 20 continuous years of never having, you know, hurting a client or, you know, having an accident or an incident. And unfortunately, some of the other guys in the industry, they can't say that because they've had some problems. And, you know, that's just kind of how it is. And so. Yeah, I was going to ask you what what's the what is like the scariest or the, the craziest thing you've witnessed on a, you know, on one of these sea duck hunts? Well, the craziest thing on the sea duck hunts are, uh, I actually had a guy shoot through the front of one of my boats one day. Um, we were in pretty big swells, which if anybody's, you know, heard the stories, like when you were saying that quote about the six, the, you know, we've been voted the, the world's most extreme sea duck hunt. I mean, that is the case. And I mean, we hunt in big ocean mm -hmm. swells, you know, the, the Bering Sea, if you've seen on the deadliest catch, you've noticed that, I mean, it's big waves and, you know, we're not hunting in 20 foot breakers. But we do we do right. hunt in ten to fifteen foot 
ocean waves, you know, big rolly swells. And we hunt out near a place called mm-hmm. the washing machine. And when you get in those big swells and you're going up and down, it's kind of like being on an escalator. You're sitting in a boat and you're going up and down. And then a group of birds starts flying by, you know, it's not like you're stationary in a field for geese and you get, locked, you, you get right. locked on these sea ducks that are five feet above the water and you're starting to swing. And all of a sudden the boat starts lifting up. And right when you get ready to pull the trigger, you're, you're tracking the birds and your, your tunnel vision is just shoot, looking down the barrel of your, your shotgun. And next thing you know, you pull the trigger and you see birds, but you forgot that the boat just came up 12 feet and you end up shooting. And I had a, literally I had a guy shoot right through the front of one of my Zodiacs about two miles offshore oh and uh, blew up the front of it. And, you know, that's the, one of the reasons we use, you know, Zodiacs are kind of our go to boat is because they're, you know, five compartment boats, you know, for just like the Navy SEALs using the Coast Guard. So fortunately for us, we were using good equipment. And yeah, the the front two compartments went completely flat. I mean, when you shoot number two uh, heavy shot or steel right through the front of it or boss, whatever you're shooting, it definitely raises cane with a hypalon. I mean, it doesn't like it. (laughs) And uh, I I can tell you, though, my... uh, my ass got puckered a little bit when the front of that boat totally went limp <laughs> and we're out, you know, 10 foot waves. And I'm like, well, I think we probably better turn around and start going back. And I right. had one of my other boats out in the area with me and we, you know, we're always on radio communication. We always hunting uh, teams. You know, that's one of the things for the safety is each of, you know, we always hunt together with another boat, like within 200 or 300 yards. So we're always within visible sight and we all have handheld radios and we have e-perps and we have, uh, you know, safety flares. So no matter what happens, you know, we've got the safety end of it covered. But, yeah, we I ended up going back into the harbor. And I'm telling you, when you, when you drive back in through the harbor and the, the boat harbor master is sitting there looking out the window and you're in a 16-foot Zodiac and the front end of it's completely collapsed flat. And, <laughs> you know, you got water splashing in and you got hunters sitting in the front. It's a, it's a pretty humbling feeling. And, uh you definitely have to hit the reset button and have a little talk about what's going on and that we're not going to do that again. <laughs> now, now are you, are you just using a, a, you said a 16 foot boat? Are you, are you guys just using a tiller handle like yeah, outboard? Yeah. Everything motor? we do is all. What size uh, motor? 30 to 50 horse on the, the Zodiacs. Now, right now we, we run three Zodiacs and we've got two hard boats. I've got a, a 19 foot duck water extreme that I had built last year that was custom made. That's got a 70 horse tiller on it. And then I've got a 17 foot Freedom Banks boat, which has a 60 horse tiller on it. And then I have the three Zodiacs. So we pretty much, you know, have, you know, different hunting platforms for different situations. The Zodiacs are real nice because they do allow us to launch on beach launches in places where there aren't boat ramps because there's only one boat ramp on the whole island of St. Paul. And unfortunately, when we get bad winds on the southwest side, the harbor's too rough. So we end up having to launch off some of the beaches. Gotcha. Um, so is it like one shooter per boat or two shooters per boat or how generally, uh, the Zodiacs take one or two, usually two hunters to a guide. And then the bigger boats, like I run the the 19 foot duck water. I will take usually three hunters with me. And then Justin will take three in the banks boat. And so like the big boats, the hard sided boats, they take three hunters each. And then the, the, the Zodiacs take two hunters each. So, you know, we take 10 hunters a group. So three, three, two, and two, and then, you know, the last one, you know, you know so, so sometimes we will split up with the third one as a, you know, backup. So how, how deep is the water that you're Well, the, the water's fairly shallow. I mean, it's 25 to uh, 40 foot deep around St. Paul Island. You're just anchored up there? No, we, we don't anchor much because of the big ocean swells. It's pretty dangerous. That was another thing, one of the, one of the okay. stories that – you know, the old days when I really didn't know any better, I was trying to imitate, you know, how the old main sea duck guys where they double anchor, you know, anchor the bow, anchor the stern, right. put their decoys out. And um, that does not work in St. Paul. It's a, in St. Paul. So you're just, you're just free drifting. Yeah. And, and that's one of the other things, you, you know, we will, we will put out decoys and we will anchor for like Harlequin and there's old squaws, you know, where you're inside of a bay in like 12 feet of water, 14 feet of water along the rocks and put up traditional spread right. but when you're at you know 95 percent of the the king eider hunting is all on the open water right on the outside and you're just uh pretty much free drifting with 
strings of decoys out behind the boat. You know, it's kind of like trolling for Marlin. Almost. Okay, so you do you do have you you do have decoys out though? When you- oh yeah, no, we we put pretty good spreads of you know big custom decoys. I mean, that's a whole other monster. You know, where do you get king eider decoys? You know, it's not like right. How many are you are you running? I I I'll run up to about uh, between two and three dozen. Um, out the zodiacs run less because there's so much drag it pulls the boat you got to understand the wind and the current is so strong i mean we got these big tides we've got currents and the wind the average wind is 15 to 18 knots so when you start talking you know you put out i'll just compare them to like magnum geese for instance if you put out you know these giant magnum king eiders floaters and you put three dozen of them out on a line tied to the back of your boat and the wind's blowing 20 and the current's ripping and the tide's going it literally pulls your boat backwards i mean it's pulling you around and so it, you know it, it, that's kind of the big factor on how many how many decoys you can gotcha. still control your boat gotcha and now i know you know tony vandemore he came out there i don't know it's been a few years now and he had the this show the the series that to kill a king thing did did he do that with yeah, you guys? Yeah, Tony hunted with us, and we've done some other stuff with Benelli, with Heavy Shot, with um, you know a bunch of this stuff. So yeah, we've we've actually done uh, two or three different TV shows. We had a couple that came up this year and that are going to be being aired shortly, and we've done some private uh, you know cover uh, video productions. So yeah, we've we've been pretty fortunate that you know we've had we've been really busy and. Um, but, you know, like it says, it goes back to that, you know, we were the pioneers. We started it. And, you know, like my slogan says, always copied, never duplicated. And, I mean, I can truly say that. I mean, you know, nobody knew about St. Paul. Nobody even knew where it was. Nobody have ever heard of it, you know, and, and King Eider Hunt until we went out there. So, mm-hmm. so <clears throat> what would you say your success rate on these Trophy seat kind well, of the, or, you know, like for a king eider well, uh, or maybe an emperor goose or, um, you know, what, what, what kind of success are guys looking well, at? Well, the king eider hunting is a very high success rate because of concentrations of birds. I mean, St. Paul Island's in the main migration and it's a very concentrated, you know, area for king eiders. This year, uh, out of the three outfitters on St. Paul Island, we went, you know, we, we were 100%. We went 100% successful on, um, you know, getting all of our hunters king eiders. And in our 21 year or 20 year history, we have, uh, uh, 17 out of the 20 years, we've been 100% successful on getting all of our hunters birds. And those other three years, I think we've had uh, nine or 10 hunters total in 20 years that didn't successfully harvest their king eiders. And the main reason is just weather. I mean, that's one of the factors. I mean, you, right. you can get these big storms and the weather comes in. And if it blows for three or four or five days and you just physically can't get out on the water. I mean, that's the big thing that I tell people. And you'll see in the, the, the video that's coming up that I'll be sharing with you guys in the next few weeks is that you just can't, you know, the access is the biggest key when it, you know, you get those big Bering Sea storms and it's blowing 30 and 40 knots, 50 knots for two or three days and 110 foot crab boats have to come in. I mean, we just can't physically safely hunt in them and you're forced to hunt on shore. And, you know, that's not necessarily the best place to hunt kings. Wow. What about, what about you, you do emperor goose hunts as well? Yeah, right? we, uh, they opened up the emperor goose hunting three years ago uh, to a limited draw for non-residents. And they do 25 uh, permits a year for non-residents. And we have, uh, last year, we took 21 emperor goose hunts and we got 21 emperors. So, we, you know, again, we've, we went uh, 100%. Wow. And the year before, we took 15 emperor goose hunters and we went 100%. And the year before that, I think we took 11. So, yeah, we've, you know, again, awesome. you know, when we specialize in something, I mean, we're, we're throwing our heart and soul at a certain species and we're getting the right equipment. We're get we're in the right area. And, and as you know, the, the, the whole key to waterfowl hunting, whether you're, you know, mallard hunting in a cornfield in North Dakota or Saskatchewan or you're hunting flooded timber in Arkansas is being on the X. And, you know, if, if you go right. where the birds are, and you have the right equipment, you're going to kill birds unless you're just a complete mutant. And I mean, that's the way it is. I mean, you know, the old story that, you know, 90% of the birds are killed by 10% of the hunters. I mean, I believe that I truly do. And unfortunately you've got to, you know, you got to put your time in and you got to pay your dues. And, you know, after spending, 
you know, 30 something years, 35 years flying around Alaska, exploring, learning all these areas, big game hunting and I'm fishing in them. You know, we, 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 we know the areas, we know the terrain, we know the habitat, we know how the birds act. And I mean, it, it's a big factor. It's not like you were saying earlier, just to, for, for a bunch of guys to jump on a plane and say, okay, we're going to go out to some Island, jump off the plane and have some half a dozen decoys and go get it. I mean, people have tried it and people still do it, but I can tell you it doesn't normally work out that well for them. And they've ended up spending thousands and thousands of dollars and maybe between a group of them get one or two birds just that they got lucky. But, mm -hmm. but, you know, even getting after that, for instance, like the, the goose hunting and the brant hunting and the Canada hunting and all that in Colbay. Now that's a different monster. You know, once we go from the trophy sea duck hunting, that's one of those things that, you know, a group can come up and have a good hunt if you've got a little bit of guidance. And, you know, that's what I want to talk about you and, and what we're going to be doing with dive bomb here in, in the future. Yeah. You know, kind of switching from that, this, this sea duck hunts, you know, it sounds cool, um, you know, to, to check a bird off of a list. But for me, I, I don't think that's really in my wheelhouse. What I'm really, really excited about is the opportunity to come there and, and, and shoot some brands, some Aleutians, maybe a few ducks off of these these tidal flats off Eisenbeck and Kenzer off, you know, over, over huge dive bomb spreads. Yeah, no, I mean, we, you know, the last couple of years, uh, a couple of my guides, when you, when you talk about that, one of my real good guides who was with me, Brandon Miller, he's from North Dakota. He actually introduced me to your, your dive bomb stuff, you know, a few years ago and he shipped out uh, like five or 10 dozen of his own. Cause I, I mean, uh, and I don't mean to, I don't, I didn't even know about, you know, that stuff too much, to be honest with you after having, you know, being a sea mm -hmm. duck guide my whole life, we would, you know, when we would normally brand hunt, we would just throw in some, throw out some floaters and put a few life size, sure. you know, Canada's on the beach and let her eat. And we had enough birds that it, it worked out. But after, after Brandon turned me on to the, the dive bomb, the silhouettes and the socks, it, it was like a game changer for me. I was like, wow, there's really something to this. And even though I wasn't a world-class goose hunter, I really started getting into it because it was so much fun getting them so close and in your face. And, you know, we, we put out a couple of videos the last couple of years and had some really good hunts with it. And like I said, I'm really excited about, you know, even uh, taking this whole uh, dive bomb decoy stuff to the next level and starting to imitate some of the, the stuff that you guys do down in the States. Cause I've got the guides, you know, my, my, my head guide with me now, uh, Jack Nelson, he's from Minnesota. So he's a big time, uh, you know, goose and, uh, you know, field hunter from down there. And then Richard Charlton, he, you know, he's got a place in Missouri and he, he guides with me and these guys are really good Canada hunters and Brant hunters. And, and that we're really turning the, the tides on, what we've got going. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this fall. Oh man, I, I absolutely can't wait. I've talked to Nick about it a little bit and just thinking about kind of getting out there on the, you know, call it what will for me, I guess, think of it like a beach almost. And man, just setting a huge spread of dive bombs, um, you know, bigger than what anybody's ever done spread wise up there is, is really, really exciting to me. I, I you know, it, it, I've seen some clips and some videos and stuff and, uh, it's just so unique and I cannot wait to get our, you know, our photographers and videographers, guys that are insanely talented, some of the best in the world up there and just kind of document this stuff. And, and it's, it's going to be absolutely awesome. I can't wait. You know, I, I'm excited about all of our trips and I like visiting all of our guys, but this one is, you know, this is one of those on the calendar that, that, has a star next to it. You know, this is one that, that, um, you know, we're, we're insanely stoked about. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's the, the, the same with me because I, you know, I've never had the caliber of hunters when it comes to the goose hunting and the, um, you know, the decoy stuff is, is like your group that's coming up and especially to have guys with that much knowledge and that much experience with these big spreads to be able to hunt with us and help us and, and show us, you know, how, how it's done down in the States versus you know what we do because i will say we're a little bit spoiled i mean our birds are fairly stupid um and you know it's the first stop on the migration down i mean when they come down from the arctic and the yk delta i mean the eisenbeck and kinzeroff area i mean it's the first stop and they stage up for a couple months so our, our birds are pretty fresh and uh, you know 
I am just so stoked myself to be able to, you know, be involved and, and go out and put some of these big spreads up and, and just start being able to show people, you know, just a truly world-class uh, Canada and Brant hunt. Now, at your peak, peak staging periods, how many, how many Brant would you say that, that at maxed out peak staging time, would you say you have in that area? Uh, between 140 and 160,000. Wow. So, and that's just, you know, that's incredible. Yeah. And that's, I mean, if you, if you drop a pin, for instance, at Grant Point, which is kind of the little point, right? In Eisenbeck Lagoon, if you drop a pin at Grant Point and draw a, a 10 mile, you know, radius, you know, say five miles one way, five miles, another 10 mile circle in there. I mean, <laughs> there's going to be, you know, 130 to 150,000 Brant in there. There's going to be, you know, up to another hundred, 150,000 Canada's there's going to be, uh, Aleutian cacklers, there's going to be lesser Canada's, there's going to be puddle ducks, there's going to be emperor geese. I mean, it's just a, that's wow. what most people don't realize that it's a very concentrated migration. And we're, we're pretty fortunate, you know, to be able to hunt in that area. And with it all being open to the public, <coughs> excuse me, it's a, you know, it's a really neat, it's a nice opportunity. And then when you throw in having boat access to some of the other lagoons and estuaries for some of the other stuff, and then, and then to top it off, you get to go fishing, you know, you, you hunt the tides and you hunt the different areas. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that these birds move on the tidal flows as the tide comes in and floods over their feed, the birds will lift up off the lagoons where they're feeding in the eelgrass. And then, you know, the brant will fly over to another area. Now the Canada's they're feeding, you know, they're, they're eating a lot of in the berry fields. So that's, you know, why I'm so excited about, you know, hopefully we'll have a good uh, fall with the berries and we'll be able to put some of these big, um, I guess you guys call them migrator spreads up where they're migrating back and yeah. forth between the two lagoons, you know, from Kinzeroff into Eisenbeck and, and from Applegate Cove. And you put up these big migrator uh, spreads in these fields and it's just, it, I mean, they've never seen anything like it. I mean, so uh, yeah, it's going to be a great, a great experience. And yeah. That's exciting, man. You know, talking about getting in these berry fields and that's kind of more, that's kind of in our alley, catching these birds trading back and forth. And man, does that sound fun? Golly, getting under a big spread. And, you know, you, you had mentioned there's not a lot of cover out there and the opportunity to get under, uh, lay in some, some S5F Canada, something that, that nobody's done up there, uh, on some backboards, just God sounds so much fun. So, um, you know, I, I, I can't wait to do that. Now, I've got to ask for Nick because he's got the, the hugest boner ever for Brandt. I mean, he's like – he's a he's just a total Brandt nerd. Um, and I know they do a lot of banding on the Brandt, a lot of tarsal leg bands, some geo trackers. How often do you guys shoot a, a banded Brandt? We normally – during September and October, we kill banded Brandt every week. Uh, now we don't kill them every day. I think last year, you know, we took uh, 16 banded brant. Uh, 14 of them were double branded, and then two of them had radio collar neck collars. So that was that's a huge, you know. And again, we're not a big volume hunting operation, so you know that it might not sure. sound like that many, but I mean, we're only averaging four to six hunters per week. So, and that's only a, you know, four or five week season for the Brant and the geese. So, you know, overall, I mean, that's, we're averaging two or three banded birds, every group. And I, I mean, I'm, I, and it, it's fun. I mean, it is, it is kind of a neat thing. And, you know, that's, uh, that's what, what I'm excited about. And, you know, the, the, the biggest thing is, you know, we've been in, you know, we've always offered these trophy hunts for the sea ducks and they've always been these high end hunts and I get it. It's expensive, but you know, uh, last year I just decided that we're going to start doing, you know, some more hunts that are more, you know, DIY style hunts for the early season where you don't sure. have to have the specialized equipment. You don't have to have 25 foot Grady whites and you don't have to have these layout boats and all this specialized water experience. And, and so that's, you know, with you guys, what I'm trying to highlight and showcase, you know, that more of the, the DIY stuff where, you know, we can get a group of guys, you know, for instance, that come up that, you know, have a, a strong background in waterfowl hunting and they can stay at the lodge and they can take a truck and they can take 10 or 15 sure. dozen dive bombs and, and the, 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 the layout blinds and go out into the, the tundra and hunt on their own and maybe go down salmon fishing on their own and not have to spend, you know, four or $5,000 a week 
which is, you know, a normal right. trip. And, that, and that's one of the things that I'm, I'm really trying to promote and show in the industry to that, you know, that's because that, that's what I want to get it to. I want to be able to offer more hunters the opportunity to come up to Alaska. You know, it's kind of an introduction hunt to see it and be able to do it. And I, and I'm, I think, you know, now that we're going to have the right equipment and the right people involved, that it's just it's going to be a, a win win for everybody. Definitely. Yeah, that sounds that sounds so cool. I mean, that's something that would be like right up my alley. If I knew that I could go up and somebody, you know, I, I had a place to stay, I had the equipment, but I, I've got the knowledge that I, you know, I've acquired to be able to be successful on my own, come up with a group of buddies and not have to, you know, take out a loan. That's something, you know, getting back to being able to do stuff on your own. Now, that's something that people could truly that they could truly do and they could do it, all, you know, often, not something that you maybe save up for once in a lifetime or once every five or 10 years, but something that you can say, hey, man, like this is set up. Here's the deal. Let's go. Like, let's go to Alaska. So don't get me wrong. I love hunting with our, our, our outfitters that we work with. And I love when they, you know, we get on good hunts and they put us on the X, but I'm going to be honest with you. Like I have my most fun is when I'm doing it on my own, whenever I'm, I'm setting my own spreads, I'm scouting on my own because you earned it. You know, like if we go out and just, you know, and and it doesn't matter most of the time because I'm doing media and video and and we don't have time to, to scout or show up to a place. We've got outfitters there that we work with and it's fun. It's always fun, but truly the most fun that we have is when we're doing things on our own. And I think most people, um, most real like hardcore waterfowlers would probably agree. But if you've got somebody like yourself in a place where um, they can accommodate you in your group and say, Hey, here, here's the stuff you need. Have at it. Good luck. You know, that's, that's the kind of, hunting that that i would be into and i you know i know it's not necessarily for everybody a lot of people they they want a guide or have a guide and that's awesome i think that's that's great everybody's not prepared to take take on something like this on their own but for the guys that are a little bit more seasoned that do have a little bit more experience and uh, i think that that sounds so cool to be able to come up to alaska and and do something like that and, and just the opportunity of a lifetime. And uh, it just sounds, sounds so cool for you guys that don't know the dive bomb crew. We're going to be joining Charlie in September. We're going to hunt for five days. Charlie's been generous enough, generous enough to open up two spots uh, on this hunt for a giveaway to a lucky customer and a guest. You know, we've been kind of hinting at this for a little while, uh, a bucket list type hunt of a lifetime, Come hunt with Dive Bomb, hunt with Charlie, Alaska, fishing, just absolutely just spectacular. A, a like, big boy you, can't, you can't beat it. What can you can you talk about the giveaway a little bit and what maybe what the winner can expect if they are lucky enough to win this this trip? Yeah, no, I'm I'm really excited about the uh the dive bomb first annual dive bomb cast and blast uh uh, you know, sweepstakes is what I'm calling it. And, um, you know, you guys are going to be coming up in, uh, in September to hunt with us and film. And we have, uh, decided we wanted you, you guys to run a nice promotional, uh, program with this for, to be able to bring two hunters along with you guys. And it, it, the bottom line is to, uh, to get entered in this contest, you guys, we're going to be posting up a video later on today and uh, all the final details on the websites and the Facebook pages. But to, you know, to be eligible for this, anybody from April 1st till April 30th that buys 10 dozen dive bomb decoys will be automatically entered to win. And along with buying the dive bomb decoys, we're asking you to go to uh, Lucian Island Waterfowlers Facebook page and like us and follow us and uh, go to our Instagram page, Lucian Island Waterfowlers, and, you know, uh, follow us. And we're going to keep updated. And, you know, uh, Asher's, uh, you know, going to be putting this whole thing together with us. And it's going to be truly, a, a, a you know, a hunt of a lifetime that two guys are going to get. I mean, you know, a, a full trip like that, I mean, it's a, a $4,000 a week trip. 
And when you start talking lodging and meals and the equipment and the boats and the guides and everything, I mean, I mean, I think it's, you know, that's why we're calling it the sweepstakes because I mean, it truly is. There's just not that many times that you get a chance to, to go on one of these trips. Now it doesn't include your airfare. So anybody that wins it is responsible for the round trip airfare to Cole Bay and a small game hunting license. But uh, besides that, it's pretty much, uh, you know, bring your guns, uh, bring a good attitude and a smile. And uh, we're going to have a good time and, and get to hunt with the dive bomb guys and just put on a show. Yeah. So, so like Charlie said, you, there are some basic requirements you're going to have to meet. You will be required to order a minimum of 10 dozen decoys throughout the month of April. You know, we talked about it a little bit. It can be any 10 dozen decoys, but this is, this isn't just like a, ah, you know, order a dozen, you're entered. Like, no, this is a, this is truly a bucket list once in a lifetime type hunt. And, you know, we, we want to make this for people that, you know, say, Hey, you know what, Loyal. you know, I had, I had plans to buy some decoys this summer, you know, April's a good time to go ahead and do that, you know? So it, you don't got to buy them all at once. You, if you want to buy five dozen first week and five dozen last week, it doesn't matter. It just needs to add up to 10 dozen and you can get out in, you know, $450, $500. You know, if you want to buy 10 dozen snows, S3 snows, if you want to buy 10 dozen, you know, V2 Canada's, you can get out at 600, you know, but, but aside from that, not only are you getting your decoys for a great price, but you're getting yourself entered into uh, the opportunity to win the hunt of a lifetime. I mean, I didn't want to do one dozen or five dozen because honestly, I didn't want the giveaway to be completely saturated where it didn't carry a ton of value. I want people to understand like this is this hunt. It carries a lot of value. Everybody doesn't get to do this. So we need to make it where it's not saturated, where people that enter, they actually have a legitimate chance of getting drawn, not, not a drawing held between, you know, five or 600 people. Um, you know, so we want to make sure we, we give this the attention it deserves. And, um, you know, we just appreciate Charlie and, and his generosity, um, willing to allow us to do something like this because, uh, that's, you know, he could book this hunt if he wanted to, if he wanted to open this hunt up to the public and book it and make money off of it, he could very, very easily, probably. And we could post one thing about it and he could sell this hunt, but he says, you know what? Like, this is a cool thing we got going. Dive bomb's going to come up. I want somebody to get to enjoy it. And we're, you know, there's a couple things we're going to require to, to have the opportunity to do this. Like he said, you do have to follow his, his Facebook page. You do have to follow his Instagram page. We will check. We're going to check everybody that gets entered. So nobody's going to be entered illegitimately we'll hold a drawing i'll do it live just like i've been doing a lot of our drawings and somebody's gonna have the uh, chance to to come up to alaska and bring a guest um it's 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 gonna be awesome and and you know charlie i know you're a you're a guy that's dedicated to being as successful as you possibly can type of guy you're not gonna cut corners you're going to do things the right way. So we absolutely cannot wait to get up there and just get some awesome content that you can't get anywhere else in the world. Yeah, no, we're, I, I, we're really excited about it. And, you know, and like I was saying, the, the whole thing with the, uh, we're, you know, we're kind of taking things to the next level with some of these more do it yourself hunts. And I, I call them kind of club related hunts where you kind of bring a group of guys almost like in a club atmosphere and you go out and do these hunts. And, and just so everybody knows out there, you know, we'll be updating our, our, our website here shortly. It's alaskaduckhuntingguides.com. It's real easy to remember. I mean, I, anybody can remember alaskaduckhuntingguides.com. And um, we'll be putting up, you know, uh, the the dive bomb page with with everything on that. I'll probably be doing that tonight. And, you know, just to, to reiterate... If you don't win the trip, you know, we do have some other stuff going on up there. And, you know, with, with the with the coronavirus going on, we, we realize the situation. We know people are struggling and having a tough time. But, you know, just remember there might, you know, if, you, if you're ever looking for that opportunity to come on a killer hunt, I can promise you that we have, we're going to be running some really good specials this fall too, because it, it has affected us. I mean, we've lost some bookings and we've got people that were, you know, 
unfortunately we're waiting on with deposits because we know i mean we know it's a it's a hard time we know there's uncertainty but you know we're, we're positive that it's going to get through and with this being our uh, my 35th year total in the industry in the, the lodging and guide industry we're, we're very strong and solid and we're going to get through it and the lodges are there the boats are there the equipment's there and you know we're just looking forward to to continuing on and um and getting through this so you know no oh, man i um uh, you know i've been going up to canada with my buddies now for i don't know i guess eight years or so and if i heard about this if i you know if i didn't have the opportunity to do this with dive bomb i'm very blessed i'm very fortunate i have a great job i love my job i get to travel you know meet some insanely cool people visit some insanely cool places but i'm telling you if i didn't have this opportunity with this job that canada trip i love canada canada's a great place but i can tell you my my group of guys that we go with and i hunt with every fall i'd be canceling that trip and i'd be going to Alaska. If I knew I could come up here and do something like this, I can go to Canada anytime I want. You know, you can go to Canada. I mean, well, technically, I guess right now you can't with the with the coronavirus. But on a normal year, you can hunt in Canada. You can go up there, um, you can go with an outfitter, you can freelance, you can do whatever you want. But if I had heard about something like this and I knew something like this was available and I didn't have the opportunity to go with with this job, I can tell you I'd be jumping all over it because it's just you just you can't do it anywhere else and you can't do it for any less you know so uh you guys look into that um you know everything's going to be updated charlie said he's going to get everything updated the website all that good stuff we're going to post about this on our on our private closed facebook group so if you're not on there already make sure you get on there that's dive bomb industries forum and fan page so Make sure you jump on that. We do a lot of cool stuff on that group. That group's kind of, there's a lot of exclusive stuff that goes down in that group that a lot of people don't see. So, man, I, uh, you know, we've been rolling for, I don't know, 51 minutes now. I, I hate to take any more of your time. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I pretty much, uh, I just, again, I want to just, uh, thank everybody for sharing uh, their time with us. And, um, I'd like to say, uh, you know, our prayers from Aleutian Island Waterfowlers go out to all of our friends and all of our fellow guides and outfitters and families and the healthy, the sick. And, uh, you know, God bless and hope for all of you to take care of yourself. And the quicker we can get through this, the quicker we can get back on to normal business. And uh, I really hope to get a chance to hunt with some of you folks uh, out there because I know there's a lot of great hunters that are involved with the dive bomb crew and um that follow them and i mean you you know like i said i'm always willing to learn and i'd love to hunt with good guys and be around uh you know outdoorsmen so so thank you very much asher for the opportunity and i look forward to speaking with you guys again yes sir charlie thanks thanks again for joining us man we will uh we will talk to you soon um guys like like charlie said our 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 prayers are with you not not our prayers are with everybody during this time. This is a, a tough time that we're going through, but especially to our God services and our outfitters, the people that we're closest with, um, that w- we support one another. And, and we know this is a difficult time uh, for you guys. So we're, we're here for you. Uh, reach out to us. If, if there's anything we can do for you, help you out. Um, this is a difficult time for m- millions of hardworking Americans. They've already lost their jobs. They're going to be losing their jobs, but let's, let's just do our best. Let's stay positive, pick each other up. Let's use this extra time at home with your families. Try to bring something good out of it. Uh, do something you've always wanted to do. Maybe, I don't know, learn to play an instrument, read a book you haven't had time for. I'm, I'm learning how to fly fish. I've always said I was going to get into it and I'm doing it. I got a small taste of it in New Zealand a couple of weeks ago, and I'm I'm jumping in with both feet. I'm going to be ready to go whenever we go to Alaska. So we're all in this together. Let's pray our leaders make good decisions for our country moving forward. Uh, take care of yourself and your family. Y'all be good. Thank you for listening to the Dive Bomb Squadcast.